Hello everyone, I am District 4 Commissioner Marlene Foscue, and you are listening to Better Together with Commissioner Foscue, where my guests and I share ideas and discuss issues impacting Gwinnett County. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, District 4 Commissioner Marlene Foscue. In today's episode, I'll sit down with Matt Elder, Director of Home First Gwinnett, to discuss the homelessness and other housing crisis situations that are impacting Gwinnett County. That's right, it's happening here in Gwinnett County. But before we get into our conversation, I would like to introduce Sylvia Golan. Sylvia is a project coordinator in our Department of Transportation. Sylvia will tell us a little bit about herself and her personal connection to Hispanic Heritage Month, and then she will share some important announcements. Sylvia? Hi, my name is Sylvia Golan. I'm currently a Gwinnett County government employee and have been employed for 12 years. I was born in Guatemala in Central America and moved to the United States when I was about 10 years old. As we celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month between September 15th and October 15th, I am reminded the importance of supporting and continuing to volunteer with my community. Currently, I serve on the board for the Gwinnett County Public Schools Hispanic Mentoring Priority. Not only am I on the board, but I also volunteer and am a mentor to three middle school children. My daughter has recently transitioned into middle school and is also a participant of the program and has a mentor of her own. It is so important to stay engaged with your community and with your local government. One way to stay engaged is to stay informed. So with that, let me share a few important announcements about things that are going on in our county. This November, transit is on the ballot. On Election Day, Gwinnett residents will have the opportunity to vote on a transit plan that will invest in 82 major transit and infrastructure projects using a 1% transit sales tax. Compared to previous plans, this plan funds more transit options and delivers them sooner. Additionally, the plan gives Gwinnett County local control of funding, design, construction, and operations. Visit GwinnettTransitPlan.com to learn more about the transit referendum. As the holiday season approaches, we have to continue doing our best to prevent the spread of COVID-19. So remember, listen to your mother. Our moms have been telling us all along to wash our hands, not get too close to strangers, and to cover our sneezes. If you have motherly advice to share, join the conversation on social media using the hashtag ListenToGwinnettMoms. And take it from this, Gwinnett Mom, don't forget to wear your mask. Now, I'll turn it back over to Commissioner Foscue. Thank you so much, Sylvia. So, Matt, can you share a little bit about yourself? Who is Matt Elder for real? Sure, and first, thank you for having me today. It's an honor to be here with you and to be a part of this conversation. Um, I am a local Gwinnett County native. I grew up here in Gwinnett. I'm a graduate of Collinsville High School. Uh, my wife, Amanda, and our two children live here in Gwinnett, just out, just north of Unincorporated Lawrenceville. Uh, and I'm absolutely committed to the work that we're doing here and being a part of this community and watching us, you know, grow vib- vibrantly together. Okay, great. Well, we are excited to have you. This is our first podcast, and so to have you here it means so much to me. So thank you. Thank you. Can you explain a little bit about what exactly is Home First Gwinnett? What does it do? 
Yeah, so Home First Gwinnett was created to really to develop pathways to connect people who are in need of homeless resources or housing services with the providers that are avail that have the resources available in as much real time as possible. You know, currently someone who's homeless or dealing with housing insecurity here in Gwinnett is kind of left to deal with the crisis and figure it out on their own. What we've created is essentially a brokerage system where the person who is in need gets personally dedicated and uh, time and attention to develop that clear pathway to get them to a resource or a community partner that has the exact service that they are in need of right then. And they're also, we know they're qualified for it. We know that's available. And we know that they're currently able to get there through a warm handoff as opposed to a cold referral, having to call the number or trying to show up and say, I'm in need of assistance. So is this the coordinated entry system? Yes, this is the coordinated entry system that the way it's called from the federal government. Uh, we try and use a little bit less technical terms with what we're describing it because coordinated entry system just becomes a bunch of gobbledygook in people's mouths. And I often mess up trying to say it. So we try and talk about pathways and uh, transitions. Okay. And so I know you shared some things with us a little while ago. Um, what purpose does it do to serve our community in a nutshell? Yeah. So, you know, as I said, right now, when a person or a family is homeless in Gwinnett County, they're calling five, six, seven, eight, nine different agencies and trying to see if they're open, are they able to answer their phone? And many of these agencies, especially now in the time of COVID, are getting hundreds or thousands of calls a day. So it can be a very frustrating process to ask somebody who's in the middle of a crisis to solve the crisis themselves. What the coordinator system allows us to do is to create that streamlined approach so that way we know what beds are available or programs have openings at any given time amongst mm -hmm. the more than two dozen community partners we work with. And we can pre-qualify, we can assess, and we can determine what the best housing intervention is for that individual or that family at the moment they're in front of us and make that direct referral via, via a cloud-based concept. So before they even leave our offices, if something's available, their information's already to the next provider and it's there when they get there to reduce traumatizations and not to do application after application after application. That sounds very helpful. That sounds very helpful. So what does homelessness look like in Gwinnett? And is it prevalent? Yeah, it's a great question. And so homelessness in Gwinnett is very much, has very much for a long time been a more hidden concept. Uh, it is not the same as you would see in some of the more urban areas across the country, whether it be LA or Seattle, New York, even Atlanta. It's not going to be right up in front and kind of hit you in the face. It's going to be more hidden. We have encampments throughout the county that are quarter, half mile off the road into woods. We have people. We have you have what? We have what? Encampments. Encampments. What's in an encampment? So encampments are when people are sleeping outside, whether it be in some kind of an abandoned structure or a tent, or sometimes just in the open wooded areas uh, where they happen to be have a chance to lay down and sleep for the night. And so we have a couple of those throughout the county, or more than a couple, we have a couple dozen of those throughout the county. And then we also have uh, families and individuals who are sleeping in cars overnight and what we call safe haven parking lots, parking mm -hmm. lots that are, have lights on all night. And then, of course, we have a significant amount of our population, which is staying in extended stay hotels and motels. And it's actually, instead of just staying there for a week or two, even a month, is living there for, in many cases, multiple years. Now, you just mentioned a safe haven parking lot. Do we have several of those? And can you provide an example of what may be is it a certain vendor or... There's no specific vendor, really. What we consider it is parking lots where traditionally they're businesses that are open overnight. They have lights that are always working. And it's a place where someone can park their car as long as they're not parking directly in front of the business or disturbing customers or employees. They're able to park and not be bothered by the business and able to kind of stay there for how long they stay there and traditionally sleep. Uh, there are a number of different locations that that we have these throughout Gwinnett, but uh, we don't publicly disclose the different businesses or where they are just because of the protection of both the businesses and the individuals and families that are unfortunately having to sleep there. Okay, thank you. So what do you think are some of the biggest causes of homelessness in Gwinnett? Like what's causing? 
So the reason we have homelessness in Gwinnett is a, is a number of different reasons. There's no one silver bullet to say if we fix okay. this one thing, we're going to end homelessness. Um, a lot of it has to do with that we have uh, relationships that have just, for whatever reason, broken down, whether it be a familial relationship or a romantic one where someone has been put out of a home where they were living or staying because that, that support system is just no longer there. It has, it's been broken for whatever reason. We also have certain parts of the population that are homeless due to substance abuse and mental health, just like any other community in the, in the country. But by far, one of the biggest reasons why we have homelessness in Gwinnett County is that we have a lack of a of an affordable housing inventory that's readily available and accessible to the persons who are, in many cases, currently employed, currently able to pay their bills, but just are unable to make the payment to the amount to pay their rent on a month-to-month basis. So you know that we have all in some type of way been impacted by COVID-19. How do you think COVID-19 has impacted the homeless um, population here in Gwinnett County? It's been pretty significant. I mean, the healthcare side alone, many people who are what we call literally homeless people who are sleeping outside or in their cars or in these encampments, um, traditionally have other underlying health concerns that are associated, that can be associated with COVID-19 and can be taken from what may be a very mild case of symptoms to some of the most extreme results in, in hospitalization, ICU usage, or even death in some cases. And we've seen that in other parts of the country, luckily not here. Uh, but for the most part, the impact from COVID-19 has been an economic one. We have seen more than 170% increase in demand for homeless services, including shelter, rehousing, and eviction prevention. As a result of COVID-19, people have lost their jobs, lost income, or lost benefits, and are currently still trying to find a way to get into a point where they're at least stabilized at their new socioeconomic level and can begin to look towards a hopeful recovery. Uh, and so that's been the biggest impact we've seen has been economic, thankfully, not the healthcare side, although we're constantly worried and monitoring that as well. Do we have a, a lot of um, extended stays in Gwinnett? We do have a significant amount of extended stays in, in Gwinnett County. Uh, they are spread throughout the entire county. There's some in pretty much every part of the county that you can think of. Um, and for the most part, you know, they have operated in a sense that has almost been like a de facto shelter system. As you know, and many people listen probably know, we don't currently have any homeless shelters in Gwinnett County, which is changing yeah. very soon as soon as we get our shelter open up in Norcross. But when you lack shelter services, there'll be other other private businesses or other ways of that system kind of developing itself in a de facto manner. And for us, the extended states have, have served in that capacity, um, whether it's for the betterment or the worsening of the community is certainly a topic of debate for another conversation. Okay, not a problem. This is a, such a serious problem that we have. And, and I heard you mention so many challenges, but what is the current situation regarding evictions and people at risk of homelessness? Yes, yeah, so evictions are a very serious uh, subject with what we're dealing with right now, even today. Uh, we know that the economic toll that I spoke about a little while ago from COVID-19 has been massive and mm-hmm. that we are seeing a lot of people and families that have lived in apartments for years and months in, ca- in some cases who are now two, three, four, five months behind on their rent wow. from the beginning of covid There's been a lot of things that have happened between the CARES Act and a moratorium they have federally to the CDC self-declaration. Our focus, though, is on the fact that we know that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of families right now in Gwinnett County that are either late on their rent or currently under the threat of an eviction or having their eviction heard by the court system. And our focus is on getting to those individuals, identifying for them if if they're eligible for services, if they're eligible for rental arrears payments or assistance, and trying to get that process started for them so we can avoid anyone from having to be evicted and having to sleep outside or having to sleep in their car. Uh, what's really unique about our system and our approach is that even if we can't, even if we can't cure the eviction, even if it has to happen, 
we still have that sheltering and that rehousing option in there. We can get somebody immediately enrolled instead of preventing the eviction, we can enroll them in the sheltering services. So if they do get dispossessed, if they are forced to leave their home, there's still a solution for them so they're not sleeping outside or sleeping in their cars. Are there a lot of children impacted by this? For some reason, I can see adults, but I guess we don't see the children, but there are, are there a lot of children impacted? Yeah, Gwinnett, like a lot of other suburban communities across the country, has a significant amount of its homeless population that's familial versus single adults. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the big key differences when we see in suburban communities versus urban communities that it's a lot more familial problem. And when you look at the extended stay specifically, that is a lot of families that are currently there with children that are both school-aged and those that are not even yet to school age that are currently living in these situations and are living there, like I said, for months and years. When we were talking about evictions a little while ago, is that just based on rental is that correct? It, rental arrears and not necessarily mortgages or anything else, because that would be a different scenario or a different bucket if people were in that situation? Yeah. So evictions are specific to rental units and residential rentals, not commercial. Uh, when it's a mortgage issue, it's more of a foreclosure kind of a, uh, kind of a problem. And unfortunately, right now, we don't have a, a mechanism with Home First to deal with that. But there are some partners in our community that are currently doing that um, and on some scales. So when we talk about, and I just want to stay on evictions for just one more moment, when we talk about that, how does that impact someone as far as their credit? If someone was evicted, what happens? Is it something that, is it hard for them to, uh, you know, pay whatever fees and just go to a new place or are there some challenges? Yeah, there's a significant barrier once the eviction has been filed against somebody, even if it never leads to a dispossession. That eviction is in many cases recorded on their credit history and is part of the background check process. So if they look to move into another apartment or even apply for a mortgage in many cases, they're going to see this eviction as an act of filing on their case. We have too many scenarios where we have people who have had an eviction filed on them. They paid it off months or years ago and it's still sitting on their record and affecting their ability to get into housing. Many apartment complexes here in Gwinnett and across the metro area, if they run your background and you have an eviction on file, they're not going to accept your application. They're going to simply disqualify it. It's a massive barrier. Really? Is there a certain time limit? Does an eviction fall off your credit? Are you aware of? or? I'm not 100% aware of. I hope so. But we're working with some financial counseling agencies in the community to really work on that credit repair piece in terms of working with the credit agencies, calling the different creditors or debtors and, you know, making sure if something's been paid off, that it gets charged off the account and removed so their credit score can increase. And it's no longer a barrier for that. Many of these situations are people who have paid off their eviction. They don't owe the debt anymore. And they have letters from their landlord or their, who they owe the money to that says, yes, this was paid off. There's no issue. But it's still that next step of taking it from there to actually communicate it with the credit agencies and saying, okay, this has been a, a this has been resolved, so let's remove it from the report because it's no longer a flag that needs to be on there. So that's something that the individual can ask, like contact the credit agencies and ask for it to be removed off if, you know, they have a letter saying that the payment was made in, in full and everything like that. That's something that they can do individually? I think there's a, me a mechanism to do that, but okay. what we're looking at is going to more financial counseling agencies to get gotcha. a much more direct approach and a streamlined process. Again, when we're talking about people who are in crisis and these individuals and families are very much still in a crisis mode, mm -hmm. we don't need to be asking them to solve their own crises for themselves. We need to be trying to provide the pathways and the support to get them back to stabilization and get them on a path to self-sufficiency. So by bringing in a nonprofit or even a private sector partner that can deal with the credit repair and kind of help us navigate that different scenario, because our three credit agencies, uh, we can have a much more streamlined and effective process. Okay. I'm going to switch a little bit to talk about um, affordable housing. Okay. What does the term affordable housing specifically mean? Because I hear so many different def um, definitions. What does it mean? So the term affordable housing is 
it's often misconstrued to mean something that it's not. Affordable housing is very simply a metric that was set by the Federal Housing Administration to say that in order for housing to be affordable, a person or household should not be paying any more than 30% of their gross monthly rent to housing costs. There's no number or uh, cap in terms of it has to be under this amount of money per month or you can only make this much money in order to qualify for it. The reality is, is that we should all be striving to live in affordable housing based on our own income levels and the housing we're looking for. Unfortunately, right now in Gwinnett, as we know, um, major more than 50% of all renters in Gwinnett County do not live in apartments or housing units that is below that allows them to pay less than 30% of their gross monthly income. So you're saying that what I just heard you say then is that apartments or housing that's being rented in Gwinnett, if people are staying there, it's above what they can really afford. Sometimes it's it's a metric. Uh, what the metric kind of allows us to do is say that if you're paying more than thirty percent of your gross monthly income towards housing costs, if so, a surprise bill comes up, you get sick, you get into a car accident, your car breaks down, whatever it may be, you oftentimes don't have that disposable income to then address those needs. There was a survey a couple of years ago nationally that said one in every three Americans does not have the money in their in their account to deal with any kind of a six hundred dollar or more emergency. When those scenarios happen, when we have too much cost in housing then the problem becomes that as soon as something happens, the fam the person, that family is immediately at risk of potentially becoming homeless or getting evicted because they can't make their monthly payment, they can't pay for their hotel stay or whatever it may be because the money had to go to the crisis and not to what they're traditionally budgeting for. So we just talked about affordable housing. What is accessible housing? So accessible housing is kind of a new term that I've been trying to get, get started. So I appreciate you mentioning it because <laughs> maybe hashtag it or something. But it's the idea that just because housing is affordable does not mean it's accessible. Mm. Um, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about the fact that when you have an eviction on your record, whether you apply for what housing would be affordable for you or not does not necessarily mean, mean that you are actually going to qualify for that housing, that your application can be accepted. So whether you're talking about um, past evictions, uh, you know, marks on your credit report, or even in some cases, uh, misdemeanor criminal past that was many, many years in the past, if any of these things can disqualify you from housing. So when we talk about affordable housing, we need to make sure we're talking about affordable and accessible housing because that's what we have to have. Just having affordable housing that no one can access who needs it uh, doesn't really solve the issue. It has to be both affordable and accessible to the community who needs it. Okay. Do you see, is there any part of Gwinnett that we may see more challenges with affordable housing that you know of, or is it just all over Gwinnett County? At the moment, I don't think that any kind of targeting strategy needs to be employed because we just have a plethora of need for affordable housing throughout it. And in fact, one of the things that I really subscribe to as a theory is we need to do as much scattered site affordable housing as possible to give the individuals, the families, the choice of where they want to live, to live in this school district versus that. Uh, when you go with a more targeted approach, you tend to kind of niche people into a certain area they can live into, and that has potential negative ramifications that are unintended. Uh, we saw that in a lot of the urban scenarios where they built significant amounts of public housing or high rises where it became a concentration for poverty and it became a concentration for lowering people to live and never really get out of that scenario. When you do a scattered side approach, you integrate it into the community through mixed income um, mechanisms, then you really are allowing somebody to not just see just people of like of like socioeconomic status, but people who are better off or may have been in a better situation right now, and they want to strive for that. Everyone inherently has hope in their heart, and they want to do better no matter what else is going on in their lives. So to see that and have that affirmation daily through that kind of scatter-side approach is a key part to just add something more to just providing the affordable, accessible housing, but to add that extra element, that's a key part of it. So we do not have this currently in Gwinnett. But what do you think about t building a tiny housing community that maybe uh, the homeless population could utilize? Is that something that 
for work in Gwinnett, you know, not knowing what part of Gwinnett or anything like that. I'm just dreaming outside of the box. Is that something that you feel that could be useful here in our area? Yeah, I think that we need to look at all types of different housing models, not just the traditional multifamily or single family attached and detached. And tiny homes is certainly a really interesting one because it tends to have a lower level development cost. Uh, you can traditionally p- put it in a higher density area so you can use lo- smaller tracts of land and you can really locate it with other services or in areas that will have access to other services. And that's one of the key parts of this whole thing is that we're talking about developing housing, whether it's tiny homes, modular homes, or just straight affordable, ho- affordable and accessible housing. It's about where you locate it at. And tiny homes offer you a very unique opportunity to locate it in areas or with, on tracks that are not traditional for residential development, but can be employed for that usage because they have a much smaller square footage size and can get people access to it. You know, with tiny homes, one of the greatest models that I've seen is from the Midwest where they use them for like one or two year transitional kind of a model. Mm-hmm. Somebody's coming out to live on the streets or in their car, moves into this place, pays a little, pays a very affordable rental rate, gets support services that surrounds them, but it's integrated into the community as a whole. They can walk to the grocery store, they can go to the store to buy clothes, whatever it may be. And they really, you know, get back to full stabilization and begin to take massive steps towards self-sufficiency. Tiny Homes offers an opportunity to do something like that in a very non-traditional setting. Uh, And at this point in time, you know, we've talked about this before privately, but also very much publicly. We need to be looking at every opportunity. Nothing should be off the table right now. Right. And that's my whole point of bringing that question up was because it's not anything. And I just want to make sure it's clear. It's not anything that we have on our drawing board at all in the county. But it's always good to know the options because we want to do what's best for the residents of our county. So, um, Matt, if someone wanted to work with Home First or volunteer, what do they need to do? Yes, they can give us a call. Uh, We have a number down at the Norcross Assessment Center at 770-846-6567. We're happy to talk about volunteering or community partnerships, or if anyone's in need, they can also obviously please give us a call or come see us down off Jimmy Carter Boulevard, and we'll be happy to do what we can to assist. Okay, thank you. you. Matt has provided us with some resources where you can learn more information about Home First Gwinnett, homelessness in our community, and the measures we've talked about today. Those will be included in the show's notes that for you to check out. I want to thank everyone who joined us today for the first episode of Better Together with Commissioner Foscue. I hope you learned something new and maybe gained more insight and motivation to help us tackle the issue of homelessness and affordable housing in Gwinnett. You see, we really do care about our Gwinnett residents. Tune in every other week for a new episode of Better Together with Commissioner Foscue on your Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast platform of your choice. You can also check out the video version of the podcast on TV Gwinnett. See you next time. And let us always remember, we are much better working together. Thank you. And thank you, Matt. Thank you.